Hi, this is Jade Taylor from Sci-Fi's The Magicians. I play Katie Orloff Diaz, and welcome to the Coffee Clash. Welcome, welcome to the Coffee Clash. Welcome to the Coffee Clash Crew, The Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And we once again bring magic back into our lives with episode three, The Bad News Bear. Written by David Reed and directed by Ellie Smolkin, IMDb is giving this an 8.6. Our description, Katie gets a puppy, Quentin meets a snake. We were way off on our guesses with that. It turned out to be very random, so I don't know how we could have (laughs) predicted it, but what did you think about this episode? I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was really well played out. The writing was perfect. The Magicians, like always, is really good at putting a lot of plot points together into one episode and making it still work and not feel too convoluted. There was a lot of exposition in this episode, but knowing that it's episode three, they've just given us two episodes with a lot going on, but not needing to explain too much. And now we're pivoting to the next part. You know, our heroes are themselves again. The monster is more in the story. He's starting to ramp up with his storyline. There's going to be a few episodes where they need to really spell things out for us. Let us know what's going on. I agree. I thought that transition was going to be a lot harder for them. I was worried if we would spend too much time with our alternate identities, our glamours, or getting to the meat of the problem with the monster. But they've done a fantastic job getting there quickly. As you said, there was some setting the pieces up, so the middle of the episode did drag a little bit for me. But I thought they made up for that in clever ways, such as the game of push that we were seeing. Poor Quentin, he's always made to be the guy that has to deal with all of this stuff. Yeah, as soon as he caught that bear, I was like, Quentin, they're always picking on him. He already has the worst luck. (laughs) Can't it be anybody else? We have been struggling, I think, a little bit mainly where he's concerned to keep him relevant to the story and central. He is the one person who hasn't had a ton to do yet this season, but I think they played off of that well in this episode, and they've already set up what we knew was going to be the issue for him with his father by the end of it. It's just that in stark contrast to some of the other character development, it's really compelling, such as the stuff that's happening with Margot, the things she's having to do in this episode, the way she's having to step up because she cares so much about Elliot, Josh as the kind of counterpoint or the moral compass to that, I thought that was really interesting. And that was mirrored in the words by Den of Geek. They said, The journey so far for the magicians with the return of magic has been worth all the ups and downs. Because as Julia tells Quentin, the world is a little brighter, even if they never know why. The emotional connections of these characters are so strong this season. With Margot clearly hurting over Elliot's predicament, Julia naturally relating to her friend's woes, And even Katie and Penny having been a couple in another timeline gives their adventure its own poignance. And I do want to talk about that because other people have mentioned it's easy to forget this isn't our Penny. Right. Even Katie at times seems to kind of fall into that. Yeah. And a lot of our Clatchers have written in. And by the way, thank you guys. We got so many write-ins, so many messages. We love them all. If we don't write back to you or reply back to you, on the internet, that's because we're going to talk about it here. But I saw a few comments in reference to Katie and Penny. In this episode, they're together. And in our timeline, Katie and Penny were together. And as you mentioned, this Penny was not in love with this Katie. But if you take a step back and think about it, our timeline 40 is the only timeline out of all 40 of them that has this particular one difference. And that's Julia not being accepted into Brick Bills. So one has to ask, is Penny actually meant to be with Julia? 
is it only this timeline where Katie and Penny are together? Well, it'd be interesting to see if there were other timelines where Penny did wind up with Julia. And if not, was he with somebody else? Was he with Katie in other timelines? This is exactly what they're always talking about when you change something, how many things ripple out. Can you even compare those two universes? They're working together right now, Katie and Penny, that is. And you can see her falling into a rhythm, but she has made mention recently, in fact, this is not my Penny. So they're subtly building all of the different dynamics that I think are going to really come to a head later in the season. And that's going to be very interesting for us to watch. They're also doing an excellent job at weaving into this ancient stories and Greek mythology, which has us all speculating and talking. We love to get into this, right? The most prominent in this episode is Bacchus, and we will talk about him. How can we not in our character review, or as he's better known, Dionysus. But there's also other things that they brought up subtly. I want to discuss how that could play in potentially with our luck magic this time. And of course, because we don't know where we're going with the Greek mythology or how we're playing with that, how true is it going to stick? As we guessed, some of our speculation is going to be wildly off course. I am already thinking different things this time than I was before. Again, we will save that all for later on. First, let's talk about our new faces and places. We were introduced to a fun new character named Frankie, played by Zach Cherry, and he is a master counterfeiter. Did he look familiar to anybody? He also plays in the show You which is created by Sarah Gamble. Oh, I don't watch that. Okay. Yeah, it's now on Netflix. And I started watching the first couple of episodes. It's got a nice tone to it. In some ways, very similar to The Magicians, but a lot darker. That's all I'll say because I don't want to ruin it. So I'm definitely intrigued. But if you haven't watched You, you may have seen him in Spider-Man Homecoming and Crashing. I love this actor. We also mentioned the character Shoshana, who greets Josh at the party and she's going to take him to Bacchus that she looked familiar. This is Jolene Purdy and where we know her from is Orange is the New Black. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'm noticing more and more that a lot of the cast from Orange is the New Black is in a lot of other shows lately, which only makes sense. She's actually been on The Resident twice as well. So back to Frankie. (laughs) First of all, I have to say if there was one discipline I could have, I used to think traveler or physical But now that I know that there's luck, that would be my discipline. It is way too fickle and complex, though. We don't even get really the whole story. The bad luck doesn't just disappear. You're soaking all this up and there is this residual bad building that has to go somewhere. He has somehow channeled this into a bear. But it seems somebody has to hold that, absorb it. Something has to take that in. It goes back to the universe. All my enemies would get bears. (laughs) That's what I wanted to talk about. The more this goes on, we don't really know where the magic in this world comes from. We know that the old gods have control over it. They are able to come back in and turn it off when they want. Do they create it? Is it a stem from their power? In ancient Greek mythology, each god had an area that was their specialty. They had power or dominion over that. It wasn't the same as magic, but it was a similar feel that this was an area they controlled. So, for instance, there were two sisters, Nemesis and Tyche, or Fortuna, depending on Greek or Roman. And they drove cabs, right? No, those were the fates. Oh, okay. That was fun, too, though. And that was three. Yeah, my bad. Nemesis, if you're thinking of Percy Jackson, is the one that would sit on the beach and take out 
the fortune cookies good fortune and put the bad ones in there because she thought her sister was dispensing too much good fortune and luck to people. In mythology, her symbols are scales because she measures out how much fortune or luck you actually deserve. If she thinks her sister is giving more than her fair share to people, she brings out her tools, showing how fate can turn on you. Of course, due to this, she was more feared than worshipped in these times. Unlike her sister, Tyche, in Roman times known as Fortuna, who holds the cornucopia and dispenses with good luck. It's a constant balancing act between these two. And this episode really made me think of that. Yeah, the zero sum. If there's a lot of good luck, there's got to be a lot of bad luck somewhere. Yin and yang. Of course, we leave off with that message and possible impending issues for Katie and what she does. We'll talk about that more later on. We also saw the reappearance of Gavin, played by Daniel Neems. It was brief because, of course, luckily we got over (laughs) on him this time. And the reappearance of Bacchus, played by Ryan McDonald. I think he just does a fantastic job with this character. He is a very complex one in mythology. I really enjoyed him on screen. If you remember the first time we met him in that party, he couldn't give two shits about anything. But in this scene, he's obviously really good friends with Josh. He was actually listening to what Josh was saying. He looked interested. Of course, he's a god, so he made the conversation about himself. But watching them converse, I was like, wow, gods really don't listen to humans. They don't give two shits, and he really cares. And he was known for that, being one of the very few who would actually listen to people's troubles and woes. There's a story about him listening to Hephaestus and all the problems he had. His mother didn't love him, threw him off Mount Olympus, and he supposedly facilitated that reconciliation. He does have a darker side. There is so much to his backstory that I really love as Dionysus, and that's why we're going to get into that more in our character review. We also saw a lot of new magic that was great. We heard about Ambrosia, and I'm sure you have a passing acquaintance at the very least with this. Ambrosia and nectar were the food and drink of the gods. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's said that they were brought to Olympus by doves. And again, there's always different tales. Sometimes it gave them immortality. It's what made them gods. Other times it was just longevity or they could heal quicker, but it could only be consumed by them, not by mortals. Gods who had ichor in their veins and not blood. There's an interesting story about that. We won't get into it, but Tantalus, who wanted to steal ambrosia from the gods, and nothing good happened to him, if you recall. We also learn about Dewey's and the library black card. And now the McAllister's relationship with the library makes a lot more sense. Absolutely. It answers that question and also answers our main question last week, which was, how are the hedge witches getting magic? And how does Marina have all this magic? Well, now we know she must have a Dewey or two. Yes, she seems to get her hands on them. We find out there are backdoor ways to do that. Of course, there is these games that are going on. But one of our Clatchers, Todd, brought up this question, and it was something I was thinking about, too. He says, why is the library complicit in this plan? Why are they in fog allowing the McAllisters to take credit for turning magic back on? How does this trio of a relationship work that doesn't seem to add up? Well, we've talked about the library seemingly being an entity that thinks they are doing good. Magic is dangerous. They even brought Alice to that way of thinking. People are not to be trusted with it, especially not large quantities. They could cause chaos, destruction. You need a benevolent overlord who can dole it out and decide who they trust, who is capable of getting that. But as with any other system, there is corruption. The library needed help in accomplishing this. 
They teamed up with the McAllisters, and obviously the McAllisters got their end of the bargain. Well, fine, when it's turned back on, only certain people get it, but we can get as much as we want, right? Here's your library black card. And Fog? Well, Fog thinks he has to do all of this to save our magicians' lives, as he's telling Julia again this episode. And he knows in order to gain favor, time and time again, he needs to be at least viewed from the library and the McAllisters as being on their team. He's democratic. Yeah. You know, he's going to play by the rules. It's fine. Which allows him to go into the library and do certain things that if he just showed his love for his school and his students, he'd be shunned and blacklisted and have no power. But of course, whether it's because magic is wild and uncontainable or just because big systems will always have loopholes, have corruption, we have these Deweys in place. And they're getting out there. People are finding ways to get their hands on them. Either way, the McAllisters obviously are powerful people. They are constantly seeking to gain more power. And Fogg thinks it's not just the deals that they've made. Our group really should be more concerned about them. So we know we haven't seen the end of that. And we came back around to one of the more intriguing concepts in this series, I think, the books of everyone. We had wondered what was going on with them, since the recording had come to a halt with the great blank spot. Turns out the library has picked back up. They are finishing up the books, and some people are getting endings written for them. (laughs) We'll discuss what's going on with Alice and what we think is happening there, but I knew that's something big that's going to continue to play in. We're talking about Alice. That is our first stop in the plot at the library. So in just a moment, we're going to get into our overview. Before that, we wanted to take a second to quickly remind you about our Patreon. Before you fast forward, promise we'll be brief. This is not just pushing the CKC virtual water cooler, which we do believe in. We think that's a great way for you to continue the conversation about shows that you love, but also for you to get more content. I know some of you were asking, we're not doing instant coffees for every magician episode. I wish that we could, that we had the time for it. And we are a couple of days in coming out with our magicians episode reviews. However, there is always more monthly content on Patreon for you. In fact, we even have a new tier opened up. There are a couple of them, so there should be a selection for everyone. For tier one, you can get access to the community chat boards and discount on our CKC gear. For tier two, we've just opened up our coffee break episodes. That's a way to participate in the interactive fun. We ask you questions, we play your voicemail on air, we have mini reviews on other shows that we're watching, and there's some other fun things like trivia facts, word of the month. But if all that isn't enough and you want more, there's a slightly more substantial bonus cast each month where we cover fun topics, what's in the news. We're going to be talking about the legend of St. Valentine this month. And finally, if you're looking for your movie reviews, the only place right now that CKC covers it is on the last tier for Patreon. Of course, each tier you get all of the previous benefits from what's under that. In the movie one, we go see something that's popular at the movie theaters right now or a fun throwback. We do our homework, we get all the fun facts, behind the scenes information, and we really break it down. Yes, we love sci-fi and fantasy. That's a lot of what we cover. But there's a variety of different genres. In fact, most recently we did The Favorite, and that was a lot of fun. So if you really like what we're doing, give it a try for one month. You'll instantly gain access to over three days worth of content. And for the price of one cup of coffee, you'll know that you're getting more CKC for your indulgence, and you're helping us out. Christina and myself, we put a lot of time into this podcast. We have four other real jobs (laughs) 
And we don't really make money on this podcast. It's done purely out of love. But our hopes are to someday make enough with this cast where we can provide more content and quit at least one or two of our other jobs. Especially for shows that we are so passionate about, like The Magicians. I would love to do instant coffees for these. I would love to do off-season dives, maybe cover some books where the source material comes from. That's something we've never done. Goals and hopes for the future, and you can make that happen. Either way, why don't you check out our website? Go to coffeeclatchcrew.com. That's clatch with a K. And there you can be directed to our Patreon page and take a look. You forgot one last thing. One of the best things. That's if you're a clatcher, you're automatically, every month, put into a raffle for free CKC gear. Oh, of course. And the winners are announced on the Coffee Break episode every month. That's any item you're not restricted. You can go onto our gear page, and if you're a winner, you get to pick from any one of those. It's definitely worth a shot, because if you don't like what you hear, you can change your membership at any time, although I think that you will like it. But if you're reluctant to do that, you can also always do a one-time donation. We appreciate every little bit it helps to make the podcast grow. Speaking of which, thank you, Megan, and her husband for your donation this month. It means the world to us. And to our longtime Clatchers who are always supporting us in many different ways, thank you for making this all possible. But without further ado, let's go back to the library where Alice is peeling paint off her walls when Dean Fogg comes with a warning. Now that the great blank spot is over, the library is updating these books. Santa's pissed at that because that would have saved him a lot of time. You're telling me they have books that describe every damn thing everyone does or ever will do when you're sleeping, when you're awake, naughty or nice? You know how much time that would have saved me? Can we please not with the Santa stuff right now? If the group was to get their memories back, the library would know and try to find them to keep them safe, quote unquote, from the monster. Alice understands that if they were to run, they could just check the books and figure out where they are. But Santa thinks the plan will still work. They just have to steal their books first. My first reaction was, okay, so nobody is ever listening to Dean Fogg's warnings. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she was. That's why she went to get the books. Well, that wasn't his warning. His warning was, don't do that. She's like, no, I'll just steal the books. Like Santa said, that'll work. Hey, listen, everyone, just ignore Dean Fogg. (laughs) Well, Alice then creates a mixture from the anti-magic paint to disable the magic lock on the door. You know, I didn't even think about that because I just figured it was regular locks. Like, how lazy are you? That they would also have regular locks, (laughs) maybe. No, we don't have to install regular locks. I'll just use magic. (laughs) Working their way through the stacks, Alice finds a wall that shouldn't be there and realizes it's an illusion spell. Hold up. Time out. Just thought of something. If these locks are magic, during the great blank spot, when there was no magic, Santa could have just walked out. Prison breakout? Yeah. How was there not one? I wonder. Maybe there was and we just don't know about it. And I knew this moment reminded me of something where Alice is trying to walk through the wall. I couldn't figure out what. Our Clatcher Patrick wrote in and said, Alice's platform nine and three quarter scene. So good. (laughs) Yes, definitely Harry Potter. I did not piece that together. That's perfect. (laughs) Further, thinking about it, she's in hunt for the books that inevitably she wrote. Mm. Or is that timeline gone now? I don't know. 
I'm, you know, who knows? We had said at the beginning of this season, when we saw her locked up and starting to lose it, oh, this is the start of Cassandra. It's going to happen. It seems like she's getting away from that now and maybe things end differently in this timeline, but who knows where that's going to go. And does this change what already happened? I wonder. It seems like somebody else is currently writing them because the books are missing. Let's ask Sarah Gamble. And we have Sarah on the phone. (laughs) So needless to say, Santa finds his own book quickly, but where the groups should be, Alice only finds a note. It says the following books have been removed from circulation for revisions. That includes Quentin, Alice, Julia, Elliot, two volumes, Margot, Katie, and Josh. Where's Penny? Well, maybe now that Penny is gone from this timeline, his book has gone elsewhere. It's finished. Okay. And why does Elliot have a volume one behind his name? I feel like they mentioned that, but I can't remember if it was only in the books. So Uh, I don't want to say anything. Okay. She could have used some good luck there, huh? That's what I mean. That's the best magic right there. So many things keep bringing me back to mythology. I'm probably going to sound like a broken record here, but this made me think of Phineas. Oh, Phineas. He's the one that's um, the god of diets. Phineas with a PH, Jason. So he has a doctorate in diets. (laughs) Phineas was a seer who had information about the future, but unlike the gods, he felt people should be able to know that if he wanted to. So he dispensed the information. You could come to him and ask, am I going to succeed in this? When am I going to die? What's going to happen in my future? When the gods got wind of that, they didn't like it, and he was punished with these harpies, another story. But the bottom line to that was, it's better for us not to know This goes back to the idea of hope being left over in Pandora's box. And it's only because we don't know all of those terrible things that have been released from the box that supposedly hover over our heads day and night waiting for the right time to strike that we don't go crazy. But that's dark. If you had a book sitting right there about your life and everything that's going to happen, would you be able to resist not looking? No, I'd look and I'd read it. And then I'd probably try to change it. And we all know you can't change it. Mm -hmm. But I still would try. (laughs) With the group's books gone, Alice realizes they have to be filling in the endings right now. Santa is ready to leave, but she can't go without them. So she sends him on and goes by herself to find the revision room. She's grabbed by someone as a librarian on the roof spots a sleigh being pulled by reindeer overhead. Okay, so that did not go down as we thought it would. We were predicting, I think, the end of episode one. Santa would be the one to sacrifice himself for her. Instead, he just leaves her there. All right, you got shit to do. I'm out. (laughs) Well, you know what? We had a Clatcher speak to us and say, what if this is the bad Santa? There's other movies where I think it's called Krampus or something, where it's a bad, evil Santa. And I laughed. I said, well, why would it be a bad Santa? And he says, well, he's in jail. And I said, it's the library. They put anybody in jail. Yeah, I'm thinking this is more just kind of like an average person. Obviously, he's not average. He's a magician and he is out to do good and he's run into some stuff. But ultimately, he has very human qualities and he's looking out for himself. He's been in jail here a long time. This is his opportunity to leave. If you want to risk it on these books, that's up to you. Well, he's a magician. We see that there is magic, but it's especially in this world, which we love. It's not all fun and glitter when you use magic. 
Although apparently he still has a reindeer and sleigh. Well, that's a spell. It's not real reindeer. I know, but I I don't like when we're going too literal with him. Okay. Because I, I like that they pulled it away and made this this other thing where mm-hmm. yeah he's he's a guy he's a magician guy. Well, in our Christmas Patreon movie review, we had a really good time reviewing the Guardians, and you didn't mind that Santa. Again, that Santa had a whole other thing going on that was so different from everything we're used to seeing. But do you think this is going to be the end of him here in The Magicians? Oh, you know, there's been so many things that we feel is going to come back. People are probably annoyed at this, but um, we got Q's blood out there with a witch. You won't stop I won't let go of it. I won't let go. (laughs) We got a handful of other things. I won't go through the whole list. But when it comes to Santa, I want to say no. But if she needs saving, it would be a really good storyline if Santa comes back and saves her. To me, it feels pretty wrapped up as well as they could do it. I wouldn't mind just leaving it there. Wrapped up? Nice. And the the situation she finds herself in where somebody grabs her at the end, I am choosing to think that's a friendly someone that's going to be the person who will actually help get her out of here. Penny Forty? Oh, I I keep wanting it to be Penny Forty. Not just because I miss him so much, but they're both affiliated with this institution. We have talked, however, though, that he's in the Underworld branch, Mm. which is, we think, on a a whole different cheerio. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He is bound there, so I don't think he would be able to travel if he even still can travel now that he's dead. But something like that is where I want to see the story with Alice go. Moving along, at break bills, Julia is still angry with Fogg for betraying them, especially after what she sacrificed. He tells her the deal with the library was to save their lives. That's why he doesn't know where the group is now. It was part of the protection. Also, she shouldn't underestimate the McAllisters. But Julia says even without their powers, gods are hard to kill. Plus, if the deal is broken and they're being tracked now, she has to warn the others. Thus, she orders Fogg to cast a locator spell to find them. There's a lot happening here. Yeah, scene two of the episode. (laughs) First of all, while everyone else has kind of moved on, they have more pressing issues they're dealing with right now, Julia hasn't forgotten. Whatever reason Dean Fogg had, she still feels that that's a betrayal. The deal he made working with the library. And she's also still super pissed about Alice, which comes up later on. Secondly, she says gods are hard to kill. Is that just a verbiage thing? I feel like we're keeping it purposely confusing about whether or not they can actually be killed. Because by the end of the episode, we're going to see what happens to Bacchus. Is he dead? Is it just really, really hard to kill them? Or does it go along with mythology that they can't be killed? I want to say he's not dead. I want to say that... The monster took something from him, not something that belonged to the monster, but instead repaying the favor, for lack of a better word, which will change Bacchus forever. And the last thing is, they're still making it super confusing what is going on with Julia. There are times where she is even stating that she doesn't have magic. Yeah, with Dean Fogg, she said it. With the crew, when they were like, who's going to go play? Who's going to back up Q with Push? Yeah, and yet it would appear that she has been soaking it up from every area where there is magic. We thought to rebuild her powers, and she's overloading things left and right. She doesn't know what's going on. 
Right. I think it's just that she's not aware that that level's building back up in her system, right? Yeah. Originally, we thought it was just the alter ego that was stopping it, that Dean Fogg had implemented. I don't know at this point. And that's something that hopefully we will get an answer on. Well, so in her mind, she has no magic. She has no more godlike capabilities. She's willing to take down Dean Fogg's protection because the group should know. And now she's going to go find them to do what? What? I don't know. <laughs> but I know... Hey, guys, you're in trouble in case you haven't realized, okay? It was really important for me to tell you that. I have a feeling when she does realize that she has magic, it's going to be a spark. Because season one, when she was not accepted into break bills, we saw the first magic she did was that spark. Mm-hmm. And then season three, when there was no magic... Nope. End of season two, when there was no magic, spark. Remember that? Mm-hmm. The very end of season two. I think it depends how long it takes for this to build back up without her being aware. By the time we get around to this, she might have a high degree of magic. That would all depend on how Persephone feels, which we don't know. Is she pissed that she gave her the gift and she just let it go that easily? I don't know that it's up to them anymore. I I think this is her natural state now to be goddess-like. And it's just the fact that the magic was drained out of her. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's controlling the building back up of it. She walks into a room, there's a lot of magic. She soaks it up. I feel you on that. And I think you're right. But we know that they can take it away because she took it away from Renard. Still unclear, though. How does that work? (laughs) What are the rules behind it? What can a god do to another god? I think that's the whole issue with the Elliot monster. And does this follow established rules of mythology or are they playing by a different Mm -hmm. code? That makes it really cool to talk about. Yes. And while I say this, I do have a feeling that Persephone wouldn't be mad because the way Julia kept gaining the power until she was the ultimate god was helping. So once she's the ultimate god, she still comes back, sacrifices herself to help. Persephone liked her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's only helping her cause there, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, meanwhile, in the apartment lobby, Marina warns Margot not to go upstairs. The uninvited guest, who walked right through all her wards, is probably killing everyone right now. Despite Margot's protest that they really should help, Marina just wants to save herself. Of course she does. She warns that the thing has god-level power. After nearly being killed by a god once, she was prepared for this. All Margot needs to do is have him sit in the golden chair, ring the bell, and he will get a face full of distilled ambrosia. Powerful stuff, as we said before. A little gets them high, an overdose will knock them out. Upstairs, the Elliot monster is toying with the group. He stops Penny from traveling. He realizes immediately Katie cares about him. Q cares about all of them, so he'll be the last to die. But Josh's round, innocent face will make his death upsetting, so he'll be first. Q tells the others that he's hunting gods as vengeance for locking him in the castle. So I really like all of the dynamics that are happening here. Everything with Marina is much as I suspected. She is selfish. We're going to learn later what was the gain in this for her. Money, magic, bounty. Which is great because at first I thought and I hoped that Marina 23 was good. And we discussed that. Then we were like, well, why would she help? Why was she trying to get this spell off of them? And it's all answered here for money. And she's not bad, necessarily. We discussed that last time. She has done really bad things in the past. I don't think at her core she is an evil person. She is a self-serving person. And if that happens to hurt you, well, oh, well, you shouldn't go up there right now because that's dangerous. Let's just get the hell out of here. And real quick, not money. 
coins with magic in it. Sorry. That's what I meant when I said... I said money, though. I felt bad. Oh, I did, too. Oh, okay. (laughs) Tender. That turns out it's magical. Yeah. I like that this keeps true to the philosophy behind the timelines, which could be a really tricky concept. Circumstances have altered these people to one degree or another in life. But at their base, what makes them them is still the same throughout every single lifetime. But we shouldn't forget that Marina Forty ended up going on the good side to fight Reynard. And that's how she died. How much of that is because it works for her and how much of it is because she's certainly not a Julia-like character that's going to sacrifice things just to help others. But yeah, the things that remain the same, Margot is always going to have this deep connection with Elliot. When she enters the room where they're all being kept... The range of emotions and thoughts you could see behind her eyes going so quickly because she doesn't know at first that the monster is inside of him. So adulation, then disappointment, then fear and loss. And immediately to concern and strategizing. As upset and heartbroken and worried as I am right now, somebody needs to figure out what to do about this. Margot, I think, has permanently transformed. And no matter. Right. No matter where she is, excuse me, King. King, excuse me, sorry. No matter where she is in life, she is going to have that persona that she's High King and she needs to be the person to take control of things. Even while she's scheming, and I tweeted about this, that one tear down her eye. Mm. That's the only thing showing emotion. It was amazing. Well, so instead of springing Marina's trap, she offers a deal to the monster. She can give him Bacchus, who she has found hiding far away, if he lets them all live. The monster thinks, he'll just run as soon as we arrive. But she shows him the ambrosia, saying they can incapacitate him long enough that the monster can do what he needs to do. So this was quick thinking because the monster did sit down on the quote-unquote throne of that room. And she could have rang that bell, but it would have knocked him out. They would have gotten away, but he would have found them. Solves nothing. Solves nothing. So she thought quickly. Uh, She thought it was a uh, hard decision. (laughs) Very smart. Yes. I mean, after all, many other characters would not have done this. It's not a great thing. Josh is really upset about it. But Bacchus is not a beloved friend of ours. In fact, he's wreaking havoc in Fillory right now. In her kingdom. Yeah. So it makes sense. And they've defeated gods in the past. Mm-hmm. Josh does protest. Bacchus is a friend, but this only volunteers him for the job in the monster's mind. Thus, he transports Margot and Josh with him to Fillory. Not before Josh tells the crew to be careful with Marina. She's not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of Magicians fans, and we haven't talked about it because there's not much to go off of it, but I think we should at least state it. One magician fan in particular, Kate277, said, this could be one of the clues that this isn't our Josh Forty. She spoke about how last season, they made this scene between the two Joshes, where a Josh kills one of the Joshes, confusing enough where our Josh could actually have been the one that was killed. And the one wearing the coat was Josh23. Yeah, we talked about that a lot when it happened last season. I just wonder how that changes the game at all it doesn't at this point but knowing that this josh from josh 23 has been alone was forced to find his way out of fillery by himself he was not saved by a crew Mm -hmm. and become one of them 
he knows Marina more than anybody, and he was on Team Marina. So it could come into play later on if Marina ends up being the crew versus Marina, and there's a mole, Josh. Mm. And when I bring up this scene where Josh is saying, don't trust her, our Josh, Josh Forty, doesn't know her very well. No, but he knows enough about what happened with Katie and Julia, and it was all very traumatic and she killed katie's mother for god's sake that's really all he needs to know to say this is not a person to be trusted but wouldn't the crew know that too yeah they do in their minds this is marina from a different timeline so maybe we give her the benefit of a doubt okay we need her in this circumstance well don't trust this marina i know her very well yeah or a zebra never changes its stripes okay i I think it could go either way I am also of the suspicion, though, that this marina will not be in our story long enough for that to matter. I've kind of thought that about this penny and this marina for a while. I don't know. They put a twist on it by the end of the episode. So maybe just a way to send her off. Who knows? You might be right. But I do like everything that's happening with Josh here. And this could still easily be our Josh, right? Who struggles with all of these same issues. Once in Fillory, in a private moment, he presses Margot on why she didn't use the weapon. She says exactly what you did. They tried that with Julia's bullet and the monster just overtook Elliot. However, in an uncharacteristically Josh moment, he thinks, but Elliot could just be dead. Mm. Which did strike me as strange, not something that he would say. She counters with, yes, but he could be trapped in there and needing our help. We need to move from that assumption and try to save him. That's when the monster approaches her. And man, I know everyone's saying it, we're saying it, but I have to reiterate, performance here by Hale Appleman is just, I love the way he talks to her in this speech. I watched it the second time and watch, being aware of what's happening, I watched him walk up behind her, which is blurred. He's not the focal point. Mm -hmm. And he's acting so brilliantly just on his walk. He's not Elliot. Everything about him screams something else. He's acting this role brilliantly. And I, I like that what he says to her has these hints of an innocent creature who just doesn't comprehend and wants to get it. Mm-hmm. He says, there's not a lot I can relate to in this world or with humans, but I relate to you. I hate being alone. I don't like being left with my own thoughts such as they are. Interesting. I don't know what that means. I need friends. You're like me, a bad friend and a good friend at the same time. How do you do it? So concrete, just from listening to what Josh said, he thinks, well, you're a gray person. (laughs) This makes a lot of sense. We could be really good friends. He also thinks she can even show him how to be more like Elliot. We could make this work. But she says that will never happen unless he proves Elliot's still alive or better yet, why not just let him go? But the monster likes this body too much. I can be your Elliot. Mm-hmm. Oh. He likes the way people look at him. He likes the fact that the group cares about him so deeply. Why would he ever leave? This brought up a great Clatcher question from Jennifer, who said, what would happen to Elliot when the monster leaves him? Especially if he remembers what the monster did while inside of him. I don't know if he's going to be able to recover from that. What is happening? right now during this possession is Elliot aware of the things that are happening trapped inside of there just looking out is this changing our Elliot on some fundamental level 
And even if the monster were to leave tomorrow, would he be the same? I worry about all of those things. Well, I hearken back to last episode where Margo was told that she'd be reigning alone. And we always thought, well, if Elliot comes back, he could be the queen. Maybe if we get Elliot back, it's not our Elliot. Or at least for a little while, he's going to have to figure out how to deal with this. Moving forward with their plan, at the entrance to the party, Shoshana tells Josh that Bacchus has been darker the last few weeks. She hopes a friendly face might help. And Bacchus confides in Josh he's being hunted by a douchebag monster. Um, that is exactly kind of close to my situation. So I'm being hunted by this douchebag monster and like I need a place to crash, right? That's when I remember that squirrely little human friend of yours said that he killed Ember. And I'm like, I could take that guy's place. Live to fuck another day, you know? He's tried to stay safe by coming here and pretending to be Ember. Relating to this, Josh says, yeah, Isaac's life was great, but eventually your old problems always catch up with you. Although Bacchus says they don't have to, the party can just go on forever, but he thinks that they're the same. They're both born to be hosts, they want everyone else around them to be happy. He's really relating to Josh, and this is when Josh has second thoughts and knocks the cup out of Bacchus's hands. Margot is none too pleased about this. Mm. She actually threatens to slip the ambrosia to the whole group through the punch, which might kill them. And thus, he reluctantly agrees to go through with it. If I was Josh, I would have played this off with Bacchus. Because we know Josh gets everyone high, he comes up with new recipes. After this all happened, I would go to Bacchus and be like, Hey man, I just learned that ambrosia is like heroin to the gods. So I thought, let's kick it up a notch for you. I didn't know the monster was right behind me and was going to take you. Well, he doesn't... Seemingly, he's not going to have the opportunity to do that. I mean, if Bacchus is not killed, and part of me almost hopes he is now, because he's going to be in some sort of horrible state, you have to think. I mean, I don't know. Josh is going to have a real hard time getting over this mentally that he did that to him. I feel like Josh just lost his only real friend. The crew is his friends, but he's not loved or beloved. He's always on the outside. He did struggle with that throughout the books and was a much bigger player in the books. This was a huge part of his arc, his journey. We also saw that Bacchus was about to share a secret with Josh before he passed out. That felt like it had some importance to it. Oh, yeah. Shit. I don't know what What he was was going to tell him. But once he does, the monster grabs him. He says a couple of really key lines to Bacchus. Do you remember me? Because I don't. I don't remember my name or where I came from. But I remember you. You took something from me, something important, and then you threw me in a cage and... I would like for you to explain. You remember all that, but you don't remember what you are, what you did. The word monster has been thrown around. That's right. We put you with the rest of your kind. And they ate them. He says if they have the same parents, why is he a monster and Bacchus is a god? This is going to be the line that throws me off of every train of thought I was having. All of our speculation, even some of the ones that our Clatchers have sent us, don't seem to fit by saying that they have the same parents. 
Yeah, so we're starting to wane a little bit that it's Prometheus. Uh, we had a Clatcher write in say, Great episode, guys. I love the speculation about who the monster is, but I don't think you're on the right track. But then he goes on to say, Calypso was tasked to build Black Spire to house the monster before Prometheus created the backdoor to magic and lost his power. It's a good point to bring up, and I know it's probably not fresh in our minds from last season, but when the group went to see Callie and she explained about Castle Blackspire, she said the castle was the greatest commission of her career to design a prison secure for high-caliber clients. She doesn't say, and it wasn't the intention initially to build it to house this monster. This was just a place that they were going to put these really serious prisoners. She then went to Prometheus said she would need the most steadfast jailers, and he decided he was going to create them through a quest to figure out if they were worthy to keep this safe. It was later, when he was looking to hide his back door to magic, that he realized he had the perfect spot, one full of monsters, more than just one, where nobody wanted to look. He then channeled every atom of his power into these keys that would keep it safe. He saw a time to come when the humans would save the gods if they had magic. He gave everything for them, and it was then that his enemies came and overpowered him when he was weak. Now, we had said, overpowered him and did what? And who were his enemies? Did they take things from him that made him less human, that turned him into the creature that he is now, that became a monster, and then they needed to put him with his own kind in a jail where all the other monsters lived, which in Greek mythology was Tartarus. So it still could fit in those regards. His enemies could have been the gods. But we are waning off of it perhaps being Prometheus, off of the fact that he says we have the same parents. And the Titans did not have the same parents. So that's where we're left a little confused. But most of the other things we were considering, it would be the same problem. So there could be something we're not factoring in or a way of wordsmithing this that we're just not getting. But we're going to talk a little more about speculation later on. But thank you, Brandon. I appreciate that. It's really hard now because we're getting messages via email, Facebook, Twitter, contact form, and our blog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if any of them slip through the cracks, we're really sorry. We were so thankful for all the feedback. And coming back to this conversation, it ends with Bacchus saying he can't ever give back what he took. How did you read that? The look on his face, to me, it felt like he would if he could at this point. But he really can't because his parents won't let him. I don't know, because it's then the monster says, it was a part of me and now it's a part of you. And that's when it reaches in and takes something out. So he can, presumably, maybe that's he's going to each person, yeah. taking back that piece and trying to get it for himself. We don't exactly know what that is. They yeah, we made did it pause it. It doesn't look like a... A body part. It looks more like a red Pulsating, water balloon. Yeah, a sack <laughs> of some sort. And they made it look a little like an organ, the way that he has to take it out of the inside. It's it's possibly even pulsating a little, like a heartbeat. But we know it's different because Margot says to a fairy eye, it's like staring straight at the sun. It's powerful. Is that um, a depiction of the spark that we've been speaking about when we talk about Julia? power i think yeah. magic some form of intensely powerful substance that that's what a fairy eye is able to pick up on i wonder while this is happening back on earth marina reveals she's working for the bounty the McAllisters have on the group dead or alive okay so in the new world order 
There's just enough magic in the air to keep the boring masses fat and happy. But you gotta need to do something bigger. You have to file a request with the library. They decide if you're trustworthy and they give you a cute little battery in the shape of a coin. They put the faces of famous librarians on there, but Dewey's the only one people can remember. Well, and Laura Bush, but Bush is just never stuck. I did like this. Uh, one thing I did not appreciate is the way Marina was drinking her beer. What is your problem? It's like, <laughs> like why is that on purpose? Yeah, What's going I think on? so. Because she's just insane. I love that Q two is like, we'll pay. We'll, we'll pay the bounty ourselves. How are you gonna get Dewey's? I don't know. We'll figure it out. We always. Sometimes. Most of the time, we do. I don't know how the hell we're going to get Dewey's, but we'll pay. We always manage it. And she agrees for five. Plus, she says she has trackers on them, so they can't try to run. Five Dewey's. I'm assuming these are very expensive. In magic equivalent. Yes. Yes. It's then that Julia arrives and is happy to be reunited with Q. This is sort of a quick download. Don't forget all of this has happened. You know, have you heard from Alice since she betrayed everyone? Have you been able to get in touch with your father? And also, how are we going to get our hands on these magic coins? Katie tells the group the official story is the McAllisters heroically helped bring magic back. Thus, the library gave them special cards with unlimited access and no questions. The black card. But if they steal one, it will be traced quickly. This is when Penny has the idea to get in touch with a guy he used to know, a master counterfeiter in the other timeline. So they go to visit Frankie, who says fooling magicians is harder than normal people. He'll do this if they double their withdrawal to pay him. So they are really just... Racking up the uh, credit. Doubling down on all of their issues. Also, he needs a lot up front. He needs two minutes with a real card to use as a mold. If they could get their hands on a card, they would just have a card, right? (laughs) Yeah, but it'd be flagged. Yeah. And he needs a third of a battery for seed magic to get going. That makes sense. Yeah, so, but, you know, wondering how are they going to get this magic, he divulges there is a game of push happening tonight. A card game where high rollers play for Dewey's. So I really love Frankie. I like his personality, his demeanor. Very nonchalant. We got our crew who, I mean, for four seasons now, their life has just been beaten down and beaten down. One problem after the other. They're high stress. Here comes Frankie. Everything goes his way. Oh, knock on the door. That must be for me. Don't worry, I'll get it. You won free sneakers for life. How do you know those fit? They always do. This guy's got everything. It's the opposite of the luck that I have, which is none. (laughs) But I really like the offhand humorous moments, like a pigeon comes to deliver him a sandwich, and they're just like, what the fuck is going on right now? (laughs) That's basically the face you just made was what Julia had. Yeah. I loved it. They also take this game to the next level, which is cool. They say a magic card game is hard under normal circumstances. Now, one big transformation would black out the room. So it's about being smart and efficient with your magic. Game of war, but even better. And of course, who's really good at cards? This has to be Q. But arriving at the location, he's told the protection amulet they meant to offer isn't enough to buy into the game. He very flippantly offers Penny's <laughs> exclusive traveling services for a month. We're back to kind of the old Q-Penny dynamic mm. for a moment, which I really miss. Speaking of old Penny, the scenes with Frankie. Sorry, I'm going back a step. We finally got to see Arjun Gupta dialogue a little bit, which was really nice. And his personality there when Frankie's like, I need grape soda, but not that store name brand. And 
the way Arjun says, I know, I know, that's the penny and that's the Arjun we love and miss. And this is also the penny where he's like, come, what? Come on. Well, and him standing <laughs> over this whole game. But I think that's why it's really easy to forget that this isn't Penny 40. There's yeah. a lot of characteristics that are the same. Well, it's the same person. He has the same password to his phone. This is also a fun bit. As they're seated, the rules are described in a voiceover by Frankie. I enjoyed this so much. This could have been a boring part. How do we explain to our viewers this game that they'd never heard about so that they understand the scene going on and they see the stakes and they can feel the emotions that Penny and Q are going through? Well, they did it perfectly. They kind of made it Ocean's Eleven-ish. And even the music in the background reminded me of Ocean's Eleven. It's very, it's tilted but it's very similar. Absolutely. And straightforward enough, it's like war. Two players draw a card, the high card wins the hand, they play until the deck is gone. Plus, you have to beat three opponents to win the whole thing. But the real art is knowing how to cheat. <laughs> With magic, a shuffled deck is a cloud of possibilities. And the more spells you throw at it, the more improbable things get. And that's... I think the cool part of the scene is seeing what happens the more they go along with this magic. Cards just standing on end. That was cool. <laughs> In the second round, the opponent turns over his handcuff saying, be careful. They killed Bobby Darren. So we looked up who Bobby Darren is. And we don't know if this is the exact Bobby Darren, but it was an old school musician and actor who ended up killing himself. And his wife was quoted for saying that uh, he's gone, he went a little crazy. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I recognize the name, but I couldn't remember the details. I think that's what they're talking yeah. about. And she said, I'm sorry, she said he pretty much killed himself. Um, but the hospital said uh, for complications that they could not fix. Yeah. So I wonder if that is, which I really like because it's the lore of that magician who gave it to him. He looked like he's been around for a minute, didn't he? Sketchy. Too, and I think any of the characters who come to these sort of, of underground games probably have their own backstory going on. And in fact, I was really intimidated by the last opponent he played. His magic was clearly stronger than Quentin's. In the last round, they're playing for the Dewey. They reach a tie at one point, which is broken by throwing cards into a hat and then playing them like a poker hand. Q is really good with his uh, cards. I love how he was just flipping it in. It's looking like it's not going to go well, though. And that's when Penny whispers, plan B is going to be to just steal it and travel out. But knowing this would bring them trouble, Q instead uses up the rest of the ambient magic in the room. So they'll be down to an honest play. Quote, unquote. Right. Because he then discreetly cheats by pulling a queen from his sock to win the game. I love it. I, the camera movement, the lighting the juxtaposition between the scenes playing push and the scenes where Frankie is explaining to the crew what's going on. It was so enticing. Well, it's funny because it's all cheating anyway. Yeah, so it really is. So was like, well, we're just going to go old school. That's how I'll beat him. Just pull the ace out of the sleeve, right? The only thing I wondered is, what if that queen was already pulled once? I would have been like, wait, 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 wait. We've seen that queen already. No, I think he had that up his sleeve, so to speak, the entire time. So that queen was never played. It was okay. not in the deck. Well, that exciting scene followed by the black card scene seemed to pale in comparison. And what I'm talking about is when they go to get the black card and now it's Katie and Penny together, their first step, they got to get the card, right? So they have a little bit of magic. Katie can use that to find out where the energy is to find the card. 
They didn't explain that. Don't need to. That's fine. But it didn't seem as exciting. The only thing with the second pass-through on this episode that I didn't pick up the first time is the foreshadowing for Katie when she's saying, why are we even doing this? Why don't we just use it on Marina and take her out? Well, she ends up doing that later on in this episode. And, and that made it going more against exciting. what they think to do that. And that's why I wonder if it's going to come back on her. Going back to that spell for a minute, I think it's the similar revealing spell Marina used. Yes. To see the group's identity. And it will show some type of hidden magic. And the glow that emanates from a source of magic seems to be much stronger the bigger it gets. And I think that's mimicked in what Margot sees of something of just immense power. It was cute, though, that Penny has to flatter this woman who is a former 70s porn star or something Mm -hmm. of that nature. And it's working so brilliantly that she doesn't even notice. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I didn't hate the scene. Seemingly, she doesn't notice as... Katie swipes the card, they're able to copy it, and Penny slips it back in. There was a moment's hesitation where I said, did she feel something? Is that going to come back around? She looked back, but Penny was gone. And Frankie is able to copy it. It's then he tells us it's not illusion work he's using, but luck. And most people don't even bother to check if his forgeries are fake because he's so damn lucky. Plus, all this bad luck that has to go somewhere goes into the teddy bear that someone has to hold, and that person's going to have a really bad day. That person's going to have to meet the bad news bear. Yes, indeed. Julia offers because she's bulletproof, but when Frankie realizes the none of his business shit is interfering with the spell, they say it can't be her. Okay, so hearkening back on to what you were saying earlier this episode in our podcast, she doesn't have magic, but there's something there. She does. Obviously. Yeah. The she just doesn't know how to growing. use it. This kind of spell will not affect her. So she throws it in a panic right to Q. Oh, <laughs> felt so bad. This kind of stuff happens in the books. Q likes to see himself, would like to be the hero, hero of the story. And yet the roles he gets are always the shit <laughs> jobs that somebody needs to do. He's always thinking to himself, This isn't what would happen in the stories, though. But he goes with it. In disguise, Katie and Penny enter the bank, and he thinks they should take more to get some for themselves. I mean, after this, the McAllisters will still be after them. Katie's initially worried about the level of bad luck this could bring to Q. But when everyone's distracted outside for free ice cream, she relents to the idea. They are shown to a room where they request 12 contained current coins. The woman is about to check the band magician's book, but is also distracted. Things are going great until back at the apartment, Q drops the bear for a minute, seeing a voicemail from his mother. Oh, so this was all brought on from a scene earlier when Penny realizes, oh, my phone is still set to my alter ego. And everyone realizes that they all pull out their phones. Mm -hmm. Their passwords are all the same for their real personalities. And they switch it back to their phones. And now he's getting that phone call. And he's been desperately waiting to hear what's happening. It's then we see the bank request is flagged for follow-up with a supervisor. And Gavin walks in. Luckily, Q picks the bear back up. Gavin loses a contact, can't see either of them. And he abruptly switches tone, saying the red tape is unnecessary and he's approving their request. They're given the coins and a chandelier almost falls directly on Q's head, but Katie and Penny leave, and Q promptly drops the bear. Jason acted these scenes out so well. 
He made it funny. And this provided us a little bit of tension relief, juxtaposed with the amount of tension we were getting with Katie and Penny in that room. Oh my God, the tension is real. Oh, they're going to get caught. And then you have these funny moments with Q. A paper cut from a paper towel. Are you serious? (laughs) He almost swallows the spoon in his soup. A snake comes out of the toilet and wraps himself around him. A huge snake, by the way. Yeah. And there's the snake that they meet. And according to Stella Maeve, even though Jason Ralph denies it, he's not fond of snakes. No, this wasn't real. This was a rubber snake greased up with Vaseline Mm. in real life to look real. There was some questioning about the luck because later on, when Julia is wondering why Q hasn't called his mother back, people were saying, is this due to the luck? I don't think so. I think this was going to happen either way. It's just the bad luck that he saw the message in that moment. That's when it came to his attention. I don't think it changes the fate for his father either way. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Speaking of Katie, outside they hand the coins over to Marina as soon as she walks away. She's stopped by someone who says he's been looking for her. Okay, so I knew this was coming. Well, I knew something was odd. Because once Frankie tells them to get rid of the bear, there's going to be some bad luck still left over in there. It will eventually wear out. Destroy it. The fact that the magicians took the time to show us Katie putting it on the ground and doing some magic spell work to it. My brain said, okay, remember that because something is going to happen. Yeah, well, because it didn't look like she was just destroying it, Mm -hmm. setting it on fire, doing whatever. She was doing a spell and then knocked it over, almost like some voodoo. I'm displacing this Mm -hmm. bad luck. And as we've said, she was talking the whole time about still being upset with Marina. In her conversation earlier with Penny, she said she's sick of her instincts being ignored. That's why she enjoyed being Sam. She could just act on that. People listen to her. That doesn't happen in this world, in this group. So she's going to take matters into her own hands. But that's a deadly game that she's playing there. Now, I have no idea who it is. Presumably, this is not good news for Marina, whomever has found her. Yeah, one can assume that with the kind of work that she does, she's made enemies, right? And she's been able to thwart whomever is after her however long that's been. But with a little bit of bad luck, that person's going to stumble upon her. And maybe it's the McAllisters themselves, or henchmen. Or the library. Henchmen for them. Coming after the bounty could give us our window into that side of things. I think you're right. The more I think about it, we haven't seen the McAllisters. There's been no reason for them to show up at this point. That might be that reason, Mm. I wonder. But, and this is really a stretch... If it's the library, that could be the person that ends up seeing. I don't know, time-wise, Alice is going through what she's going through and what our crew is going through. What if that was uh, Marina? No. I don't want that to be the person. I want it to be somebody who's really there to help Alice. As I said, I was like, no, that's wrong. Um, Timeline-wise, there is a way they could play with that, even though it was earlier in the episode to have that track. But Remember, they're not on the same timeline. When you're in Fillory, it's a different timeline from Earth. So when you're in the... Yeah, I don't know the way the library operates there. Yeah. The Cheerios, you never know. She, she Zelda, seems to be able to come back and forth, talk to Dean Fogg as though it's all normal, but I'm not sure. We end the episode with Q talking to Julia and thinking that they gave a hell of a price and what did they get in return? Magic is back, but not in the way they wanted. 
This is always what happens hmm. to our magicians. One of our clatchers, Ashley, was saying she hopes we came around on the battery depletion hate. Hmm. <laughs> she was confident Julia or the whole group was much better equipped to deal with the Elliot monster and the McAllisters as a group think than Dean Fogg was on his own, as much as she loves him. Yeah, we knew for sure that this would push the story forward and it would be more exciting and enticing. But we weren't upset with the writing or upset with the way it played out. We were upset with our character, if that makes any sense. Yes, that. But the point I was going to come to for here was I love when the group is together. It's always more fun. We used to always complain about that. They can play on each other's strengths. But at the end of the day, their plans always wind up ending up (laughs) in disaster. And really, that's what Dean Fogg was trying to warn them about. Not that he's done a terrific job in the past. He hasn't, and he's failed in 39 timelines. But he also has the memory of that where they don't. And this timeline seems to be working differently for some reason. Who knows why that is? Q says it, even when they manage to do something good and it works out, it's not the way that they think. And magic doesn't solve all problems. And... Are they ever going to really get this figured out is the question at the end of the day. He's really depressed about that. I mean, Julia thinks she would do this over and over again because it brought some joy to some people. But he's not sure if he would. Well, that wraps up the plot here. But as per usual, leaves us with many more questions than answers. One of which that we didn't touch upon. Why do they keep showing the donut worlds, the Cheerios? Before we enter the library scenes, each time we're getting glimpses of that. It's no longer a marker just to show us we're in a different place. We're aware of that now, where the library is. There has to be some reasoning behind that. And I have guesses, but I don't think it's anything close. I'm not sure what the show is doing with that. Will we get to see more of the books of everyone and what's being written in the endings? Who snuck up on Alice? Will she get out of there? What's Bacchus's future? Who are the rest of the monsters kind? What did they take and why can't they ever give it back? Will the crew end up helping the monster inevitably? I wonder. Well, they're already making us feel a degree of empathy for him in this episode, which I kind of guessed was coming. It's never as interesting when a character is just... Evil. Black and white. Even the Beast, there was a whole backstory behind who he was and how he got to be that way. So I think that's going to continue and going towards our speculation, even if it's not Prometheus, the reason we were bringing that up is because he was, in Greek mythology, the only real proponent for humanity and humankind. Let's give them the fire. Let's give them the ability to be more like us gods. Magic, right? Let's Mm -hmm. give them magic. And nobody wanted that. He was punished so severely from the gods because that was a scary concept. They didn't even like when demigods got too uppity and they had to be saved by them or they had too much ability. This seems like something far beyond that, far scarier. But whatever it is, I wonder if it's going to be pitting the gods against the humans. That feels like a next logical conclusion. And if that happens, we have a god on our side. And maybe we wind Julia. up maybe we wind up working with the monster because we get what he was doing all along. Uh, it would be a great spin. I don't know how we get from here to there, but that's exciting. It is. We really enjoyed our episode. Let's take that to our official rating on a scale of one to ten rations. What do you give episode three? While I really enjoyed this episode, it's one of those where it's a bridge to get to the rest of the story. 
So many good things, so many cool things happened. With that being said, I'm going to say 8.6 rations. This is interesting because your episode three for last season was an 8.7. Oh, wow. We both... Consistent. ...took our biggest jump down. We were at a 9.3 and a 9.8, respectively, for episode one. Two, we went down to an 8 and an 8.8, and three, an 8.5, and an 8.7. So that's those setting the pieces. Maybe we are a little biased. We have a little less... Well, yeah. Kind of tolerance for that. (laughs) It also makes sense because episode one and two, they're going off of the end of the season prior. And now they're tasked with setting up the pieces for the rest of this season. So they got to do a lot of exposition. But come on, guys. 8.6. I'm not saying it's bad. I love this shit. No, that's still really good. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm having a very similar feeling to my episode three, The Losses of Magic, last season, which I gave an 8.5. So I think I'm just going to go the same, 8.5. So now it's not just up to us. Now it's up to our Clatchers. This is when we ask our Clatchers on Twitter, at CKC Podcast, who is your MVM, Most Valuable Magician? If you haven't followed us yet, it's time to do it. Join in on the fun. Let us know who your MVM is and let us know why. This week, our four options were Katie... Margot, Quentin, and Alice. Coming in at fourth place is 6% with Alice. She did accomplish a lot, but let's be honest, she had 5% of the scenes right now. This season, as of now, is not really about Alice. But what she's doing, I think, will be very impactful by the end of this season. I think will be more important than anything else that's happening. The library is the main order and she has the inside look. The books of everything have to mean something. She got out of that cell, but by the end, she is not out of the library. She doesn't have the books and it looks like she's being caught again. So this is a low point for her until we figure out where that's going. She's taken the Penny position, who's just trapped in something away from the crew and has to figure out her own way out. Yeah, but desperately trying to do so to save them. I'm really eager for that to slow unfold. I think it's the area they're doing probably the best with right now in the show. And I'm going to repeat myself here, but I love how different this Alice is from the one that we've grown accustomed to. Yes. And she's had to change hats many times throughout Mm -hmm. the show. I think Olivia Taylor Dudley does a great job with that. Coming in third place with 12% is Katie fighting her own battle. Nobody will listen to her instincts, taking matters into her own hands. I agree with you, but selfishly, and I think it's fitting and something we need to pay attention to, that the last scene of this episode, it's her in that seat that Marina told us, the one who wants all the power, inevitably will sit in that seat. And there she is with a puppy, changed clothes, and very confident. What's going on? It spells bad to me. It does. Third place with 32% is Margot. It's still a little early to have this kind of comment, but last season, it was obviously a Julia season. It was about her becoming a god. It feels like this season is about Margot becoming the king that she is meant to be. Mm -hmm. And it's showing more and more every episode. And it gets harder and harder for her just when you think Margot has encountered some of the toughest shit in this show, it steps up to another level. How many people could have made that decision in Fillory the way she had to do? This wasn't easy for her either. But these are the tough choices a ruler has to make for the greater good, dare I say. And that person who makes the choice, the leader, is the one who has to live with that and deal with the consequences. I think she already knows that she will. 
this might be asinine, but anyone else miss the eye patch? I grew. I, I really know, love that. Me too. <laughs> and I thought for a while, what's different? I realized she has less makeup on. They're giving her this look. She's been through a lot. She's struggling. I mean, she still looks out of control, gorgeous. But I said that's not quite it. And then I realized there's no eye patch. <laughs> yeah, seriously, Summer, what water are you drinking? Because you are magnificent. Oh my goodness. And that hair, too. (laughs) Very jealous. But coming in first place with a whopping 50% is our boy, Quentin. And what about his hair? Beautiful. Oh, Quentin's having a bad day. He's got blood all over half the episode. He's the man. I love Quentin. He's, He's had, the last couple episodes, these scenes that took a lot of good acting and that were very impactful. I'm thinking about specifically the scene on the boat where he had the key that created... The depression monster. The depression monster, I still go back to that as being some of my favorite. Here's the issue, though. These are my favorite Jason Ralph moments. Mm -hmm. And in this episode, too, Quentin surely did a lot to progress the plot and movement of the story forward. And I definitely agree with the polls voting quantity-wise. Difficulty of his decisions wise and what he had to do he had to endure basically he had to endure a lot of shit character development wise though i have to give it to margo do you look at my notes no were you going with her too i'm going with margo wow nice she made the hard decisions first of all top of the episode she was warned don't go in that room friends are probably dying she walks right in not even slowly she walks and closes the door At first she says, Marina, you bitch, we have to go help them. (laughs) What's the matter with you? She endures so much emotion. You know what's interesting? We're often very split, you and I, on our MVMs. We have actually voted the same all three episodes, but different from the poll all three episodes. Oh, that's bad. Which rarely happens. But I like that because I do understand the poll choices. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that wanted to give it to Quentin. So this way I feel like, well, he won. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Larissa wrote in to say, definitely Quentin for the card game and the bad luck bear. I hope we see Frankie again. He reminded me of my favorite supporting characters from October Day novels. Ooh, not one I'm familiar with. Ooh, we got to check that out. That's a new find. Melly agrees, saying my vote goes to Quentin for his clever card tricks and enduring the bad luck bear. Also, shout out to Penny's mustache. (laughs) Yes, the whole getup. I loved that. You have such a fresh face. Oh, yeah. Do you ever consider modeling? (laughs) And then Katie's laugh. Brian S. says, maybe it's me, but this episode didn't feel as awesome as the last two. Almost didn't vote in protest, but that would be punishing you guys. And doubtful you're holding a teddy bear. Voted Quentin (laughs) for dealing with a fear of mine, a snake out of the toilet. He's a clever man. Yeah, it's, it's definitely different from the last two episodes, we agree. Yeah, in fact, there's a back and forth where they discuss... Brian and Larissa, the ebb and flow of the season. And I do think while the ebb and flow is always present, they have gotten much better with managing that this season. And this is what we talk about when we say digital water cooler. Back and forth with our clatchers, people that have never met each other, having conversations about the shows we love. And it helps you process, right? What you just watched and what you're feeling about it. Patrick says the pacing felt rushed and some of the instant plot fixes feel thin. But like Chris, I hesitate to criticize because it's still a great show and the acting is awesome. Great to see Q get to use his card specialty and the one-liners were fire as usual. Hmm. Yeah, that's everything we've been saying. But he also says after rewatching, he changed his mind. 
he's loving it. Pacing always seems fast because you don't want it to end. And there's more depth to absorb on the second run. You often say that. I do. It's too much. I always, I, I mean, when I'm editing the episode, I hear myself saying, well, the second time I watched it, well, the second time, and it's true though. The second time you watch it, you pick up on a lot more. Especially when you're watching for a podcast and taking notes the mm-hmm. entire time. And the quicker they go, the more frustrating it gets. You have to keep pausing. And you're a loud typer. I can hear when you're getting frustrated. I hear the... I'm a fiend. I have to move at like breakneck pace. (laughs) Meg says, what an episode. I had to vote for Quentin as he's the only one who could have survived that kind of bad luck torment. And seriously, Hale Appleman is extraordinary. Agree, agree, agree. Here we go, one for us. Amir says, I love how badass Margot is. Oh, how I missed her. She was so smart in the situation with the monster and making a deal with him. Reminded me of how Julia made a deal with the beast. Although my second choice would be Alice, since she sacrificed staying in the library for the books. Oh, those are all my thoughts. (laughs) I am definitely team Margot and then Alice this season. Brian T says, gotta give it to my man Q. Dude won a game of cheating by playing by the rules. Well, kind of. (laughs) Then the bad luck bear. Great work this week. And great work on titling these episodes. Because it has meaning, but it's not obvious. It doesn't give anything away. It's really clever. And I love when our Clatchers, in their reviews to us, at these actors. Because um, we're hoping that these actors become more aware of what we're doing. This water cooler team that we're creating. And maybe they'll be more apt to come on to talk to all of us. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Anon Pease is poking more holes in our Prometheus theory, (laughs) saying such a tense episode seems a lot less likely now the monster is Prometheus. If it is, doesn't make sense that Bacchus didn't remember that he was dead. But I like the other Clatcher theory. You mentioned two points. I don't think Prometheus was dead. I think that was a total misdirect. Saying he was overtaken and all of his power was diminished, we've now seen with Julia, is not dead. So, plus, Bacchus is just sort of off doing his own thing 90% of the time, having parties, not caring what's going on. It wasn't until he found out about Ember being dead that he's like, oh, how can I capitalize on that? But I, too, am thinking it's less likely for the reasons we are hearing the monster himself say. And that would probably include the Typhon theory as well, as much as I love that. I really did, too. As an alternative, If it's something else, that seems to make a lot of sense to me. Hillary says, tough choice this week. Quentin gets my vote. He kicked ass at push and endured the bad luck bear. Shout out to Penny for bringing in his friend Frankie and borrowing the black card. And finally, Brian T. It's a tough one. I started with Margot, but that chain led the wrong way. Alice had a shot, though I believe her decision was probably right in the end. Q took one for the team, though. Winner is Quentin. Oh, man, they're making me think I was wrong. Should I go Quentin? No, you can't play that (laughs) wishy-washy game. I'm just teasing. We also had a few more great comments via email. Mark wrote in to talk about our questioning Dean Fogg's comment last episode. This is the first time he really got to be Julia's teacher. He says his theory is simple. In the first 39 timelines, he never got the chance to say anything to her because she and possibly the rest were killed by the beast because at times he was too drunk to think straight. But more importantly, he is the only one that remembers these past timelines. Whenever he did get to work with her, either he couldn't acknowledge her full abilities or the added knowledge in timeline 23, he still had 17 more to go. He probably figured it didn't matter what he said. 
For all we know, he could have praised her many times, but it was meaningless because there was no way for her to remember it. Mm. So the connection between the two wouldn't have fully been there until now. We had a website comment from our blog from Stacy. Love the podcast. Just something I realized in season one, episode 10. The girl at the fountain makes a comment to Penny about Santa Claus coming through the fountain. And this is the first episode that Penny falls into the library. Oh, so Santa from season one was brought up. And I completely forgot about that. That's cool. I don't know if I ever knew that. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you, Stacy. Michael said, you know, aside from Ember's gift, the only essence we've seen with godlike power transferred from being to being is Julia's spark. Could Julia's spark be the thing the gods took? Also, didn't the Elliot monster fail to call her out when listing Q's friends with whom he'd kill? Maybe her gift is his, and it's cloaking her from him. Whoa. Was she... She wasn't in the room yet when he was there. That's right. She oh, also... She, boy. Well, oh, she also wasn't in the castle when the true. monster was around. True. She didn't come till after when Alice started destroying the keys. Right. Maybe the spark inside of her is something all gods have. We know he's looking for more than that because he's digging around and taking things from other gods as well. But maybe she has that now too, the way they do, Hmm. which makes this danger upped for her big time. Absolutely. Jennifer kind of mirrors our thoughts saying, wouldn't it be interesting if the monster is only the monster because the gods took all of his good parts away for themselves? Maybe he is evil until our magicians help him hunt them down to return his idiosyncrasies and good parts back. Mm. So we said, you know, he wasn't always a monster till he lost those things. And uh, maybe that gives them some level of power that they don't want to relinquish. It seemed more like Bacchus was saying, it's the fact that you don't know how bad you were. Yeah. You're not getting it. So that's also throwing me off a bit too. Shit. There's so much going on. I love it. Clatchers, thank you so much for writing into us. This is so fun. I just want to reiterate, if we don't write back to you, uh, we got some Facebook comments about last episode. We read them. For example, Ashley, thank you for that. We read them. Uh, We can't reply to all of them, but we are reading them. And also a big thank you to MedPodFan, who gave us a raving review on iTunes. We appreciate that. We know that not all of you are listening via iTunes. Actually, about 70% of you are not using iTunes. But if you are, please leave a rating and review. It's up to you 30%. That means every single one of you is important. This helps so much in getting other people to find us and in helping this magician's podcast grow. This is a show we are really passionate about. And there's not a ton of podcast coverage on The Magicians. So if you're enjoying this, make sure you tell a friend and leave a review on iTunes. Now on to one of our favorite parts where we do our character review. This week, of course, and possibly our last chance to talk about it. Who knows? But we're going to go over Bacchus, more commonly known as Dionysus. He was the god of, well, many things, but the grape harvest, winemaking, fertility, Ritual madness and religious ecstasy. This is how he's often known, his partying, his wild drunken orgies, but there's a lot more to it than that, and that's why I want to discuss him. Uh, Percy Jackson, remember Dionysus? (laughs) Yeah, that's the way he's often depicted in pop culture. He carries a thyrsus, a fennel staff wound with ivy and topped with a pine cone, a wand and a weapon to destroy those who oppose the freedom his cult represents. And that is, those who do not belong to conventional society. And thus, the cult symbolizes the chaotic, dangerous, and unexpected. 
It was made up of wild females called menads, those who feed the dead through blood offerings, satyrs, and followers who partake of his mysteries. They were said to be possessed and empowered by the god himself. The wild ecstasy was meant to free them of self-consciousness, fear, and care, to subvert oppression of the powerful. And not just orgies, but the rituals actually consisted of pulling apart live animals and eating them raw. His origins are uncertain, and this is why it was thought he had several rebirths to different parents. Thus, sometimes he's shown as an older, bearded man, that would be his first incarnation, sometimes as an attractive, semi-naked, androgynous youth. There's tales about a birth before this, but I don't want to get into that. For our purposes, first, he was born to Zeus and Persephone, probably, in the form of a serpent and was thus partly a god of the underworld. It was said he could communicate between the world of humans and the underworld. Zeus actually meant for him to be his successor as ruler of the cosmos, but a jealous Hera, his wife, mm, shit's a lot of times Hera's fault, <laughs> incited the Titans to kill the child and dismember him partially eating him. Ugh. But the gods managed to save his heart through which he was able to be reborn. Pieces of these stories just keep weaving in. This time his birth was to a mortal mother named Semele. This is a better known story. Semele was the daughter of the king of Thebes. When Zeus's wife Hera discovered the affair again and <laughs> Semele's pregnancy, she disguised herself as the woman's old nursemaid and thus befriended her again, getting her trust. Semele confided to her that the child's father was in fact Zeus. Hera pretended to disbelieve this and convinced her she should force Zeus to reveal himself in his true godly form to her to prove it. Now, mortals can't look on a god's true form without dying. But having planted the seed of doubt, Semele went and asked Zeus to make a promise without knowing the details, and he agreed. When she revealed her request, he tried to protest, but she insisted. He transformed, killing her. Mm. But Zeus rescued the unborn child that she had, sewed him into his own thigh, and then birthed him. That was Dionysus. Still afraid of Hera's retribution, though, he gave the infant to Hermes to take to the rain nymphs of Mount Nysa and be raised in secrecy. They brought him up as a girl to protect him and keep him hidden. Thus, it's later said he had difficulties with his own identity and sympathized with other people who felt the same way. He later discovered winemaking and traveled the earth to teach mortals his secrets, developing his procession. Finally, he later ascended to Mount Olympus and thus became what they think of as the last of the 12 Olympian gods. Oh, wow. If Hera was in the WWE, she'd be known as Hera the Terra. She had a lot of issues, this one. I mean, maybe understandably, because Zeus had about a million affairs, tons of other children. Dude, he was I, never faithful to her. Christina, I love you, but if I was Zeus, I'd probably... Uh... Well, and the <laughs> issue here is she's always taking her vengeance out on the woman or the child who has nothing to do with any of this. There are so many stories like that, but poor Dionysus went through a lot. And there's yeah. a lot of other tales of the struggles he encountered and the things that he had to overcome and how dark and scary his following could be. Some of the stories say this was actually Hera's fault because when he went out roaming the earth, she inflicted him with madness that made him just walk around aimlessly. When he realized how bad that could be, 
That was the weapon he would turn against others, unleashing this ecstasy that would almost drive you mad. One thing I've learned from all of Greek mythology and Roman mythology when it comes to the gods, their, pardon my pun, Achilles' heel is always emotion. They are so full of emotions that they often seek revenge in catastrophic ways. Yeah, people will often ask, what is the difference between them and Titans? If you're not familiar, there were essentially three levels of deities. The first were the primordial deities, including gods and goddesses. They called them that, which is why it's confusing, such as Gia and Uranus. Gia, Mother Earth. Yes. They were older, very primordial, Mm. very much like nature gods that people couldn't really understand or identify with when they had children this represented the second level and they were the titans a little bit more understandable a little bit more relatable but still very wild they had a lot of power but it was unfocused it was untamed and so along comes the third level the olympian gods the one that were actually known as gods and goddesses They were said to be smaller than the Titans, but even more powerful because of how refined that was. And yet, every level down, the gods are even more human. When Prometheus creates these figures out of clay, he's creating small representations of themselves. They just don't have the level of power that the gods do. And I think this is part of the reason they disliked them so much. Prometheus made them a little too much like them. Now, when you look to these stories at who was imprisoned, locked up, who was cut up or had pieces taken away or was transformed. There are so many things happening here that I couldn't even begin to guess who this might be. If we are looking at the third tier of Olympian gods and their parents being Kronos and Rhea that were Titans, they didn't really have any other children. I believe Kronos also fathered Chiron, the centaur that's and centaur that's in all of our stories. But that's it. So I don't think that fits with another creature coming in saying we had the same parents. Mm. Um, so I don't really know where we're going with that. Well, that's going to wrap it up for episode three and just take us to our brief spoilers for episode four. If you are afraid of that, we will see you next time. For everyone still here, we know that the title most probably... Next time is Marry, Fuck, Kill. They're just letting that F I, I've seen fly. some variations on that, but yeah. The synopsis, vague as usual. Josh gives Margot a muffin. Julia drinks schnapps. Just, they're not helping me at all. No. I have nowhere to go with that. The last time we had someone eating a sweet was Penny eating a sweet, which we presumably think cemented him into the underworld. But it's Josh. He cooks these things. I think this is more about some type of, unfortunately, getting back. It's Margot Mm. for what she just did or incapacitating her so she can't do anything else. And that would lead to that being Josh 23, no? I don't know. Curious. That could go somewhere. We see in the preview, someone tells Alice he knows she was looking for her friend's books. We don't know who that person is. The monster says he will need their help finding more gods. Will they go with him on this journey? A voice says some books can be rewritten. And in fact, Q's book ends next week. 
bomb drop mean bomb drop and josh wakes up next to something bloody as a monster roars in the background okay i don't want to read too far into this so q's book ends next week i mean that could mean a multitude of things did uh alice manage to steal one book and only q's book and that means it ends she said they were writing the endings as they spoke okay Hmm. I don't know. Does, I'm excited to find out. Does he have more than one volume like <laughs> Elliot does? <laughs> I'm curious. And I wonder what our Clatchers feel about that. So let us know via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, Facebook, Coffee Clatch Crew, or from our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com. Thank you so much for going on this magic ride with us. The magic will continue Wednesday and then next Saturday. So all of our podcasts come out on Saturday. In the meantime, we have a Patreon podcast coming at you. But for everyone else, till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.